Hey, a couple of things before we get into our sermon this morning. If you're new around Redemption, my name is Stephen. Thanks for being here this morning. We'd love to help you get connected. You can do that out in the lobby after service today. Just fill out a connect card. Tonight, we're back. Tonight, five o'clock, worship night. We're gonna do what we just did a little bit more. We're gonna sing a few songs. I'm not teaching tonight. We're gonna pray together. We'll take communion together. Uh, And then after we get done tonight, uh, which will be sometime around 6.15 or so, then we're gonna go eat. We're gonna feast together. And so uh, we'll provide the hamburgers and the hot dogs. If you wanna bring something to share, that would be great. Uh, Come back, join us tonight. Let's have a good time celebrating together as a church family, how good God is and worshiping together again. Again, this Wednesday, we are, we are launching our Wednesday night services. And so uh, we've been talking about this for a few months now. It's here on Wednesday night. We'll have something for everybody. And so uh, five and under, there will be babysitting. And then there will be classes, Bible basics for K through one, second and third, fourth and fifth. Then our sixth through 12th graders will have youth group. And then for us as adults, there's two classes you can choose from. Uh, the first is the Beatitudes. Tom and Angie will be teaching that. And then the second, I and some other teachers throughout the semester will be teaching uh, on just a doctrine of the Bible, uh, knowing what we believe, why we believe, and how to defend why we believe what we believe. And so that starts this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Now, I do want to say this. If you miss a Wednesday or you can't make it this Wednesday, don't throw off the whole semester. Uh, just get here when you can and journey along with us as much as you're able. We understand things pop up and all of that kind of stuff, but we'll launch this Wednesday, so I hope to see many of you here Wednesday night. Thursday, there's a young adult volleyball and hangout night, and so if you're a young adult, you know if you are or not. If you're too old and you think you are, you'll be creepy if you show up. So just keep that in mind. All right. Uh, that's Thursday night, volleyball, hangout. You can do that here. You do need to be out of high school, though, before you show up to that. So high school students, stay home. Cool? All right, come on Wednesday. All right, we're kicking off a brand new series today. It's called Jesus Loves You. And Jesus does, he loves you. He loves you a lot. And over the next couple of weeks, I want to convince you of that more uh, and more. And maybe you need to be convinced right away. Maybe uh, you've already been convinced of that at some point. You just need to be reminded of that. Well, we're going to talk about how much Jesus loves us. And we're going to do that today through probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life, depending on what version of the Bible you grew up memorizing or studying. This verse is famous for a lot of reasons. Theologically or doctrinally, it's famous. Martin Luther says that it is the Bible in summation, the Bible in a verse right there. It's famous in pop culture for a lot of reasons as well. One of them, Tim Tebow wore John 3.16 right on, his, uh, on his, his eye paint during one of the national championships. And it was said that there were 100 million search hits that night, John 3.16. And so this verse, which most of us can probably quote or uh, can quote elements of it, uh, is obviously famous and popular, but what is at the heart of it and how do we understand it in its proper context? And today what I want to do is provide some context to the verse, John 3.16, so that we might understand what we mean when we say Jesus loves you. 
And this will be a setup, uh, a sermon today, and then a setup kind of for the, the rest of our series. And during this series, we're going to see encounters that Jesus has with different individuals. And all of these encounters we believe to be real, literal encounters, um, but they also then serve as types for us to understand. Today's type is a guy by the name of Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. John says it better than I do, so let me read it. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now today, as we work through uh, the John chapter 3 here in context, we're going to see a few things. The first thing we're going to see is the search of humanity. And let me tell you that it is deeper than you'd think. It's deeper than you'd think. The second thing we're going to see is the state of humanity, and it is darker than you'd think. The third thing we're going to see is the solution for humanity, and it is different and more doctrinal than you might think. And then lastly, we're going to see the Spirit, and we're going to see that we're more dependent than you'd think. Right here at the beginning, Nicodemus is our first encounter with Christ that we're studying in our series. And in Nicodemus, we begin to see the search, the search that all humanity is on. And the scriptures say it in many different ways, uh, but the words that we tend to describe this search is the look for purpose, the look for meaning, uh, the look for something bigger than ourselves, the look for the solution under the problem, even if we can't fully identify the problem. This is individual and it's corporate. And here Nicodemus represents a religious search. Nicodemus himself is a religious man. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament. He knew the scriptures and he had religion inside of him. Yet here he is still searching. Some of you are familiar with this search. You had religion. You knew the Bible. You grew up in a faith, yet you still felt something missing. You were still longing for something. Some of you might be here right now in this place where you have grown up in religion. You know elements of the Bible. You've been catechized, yet you're still searching. You're still looking for something. This is the religious search. There is, of course, the opposite, the irreligious search those who know nothing of the scriptures, those who know nothing of the Bible, yet their life seems to be lacking something. They're asking questions that seem to have no answer. And culture has gone on, at least since Christ, for 2000, 2,000 years, and different people have attempted to answer this question throughout the centuries. Different uh, solutions have been presented. One of those solutions has been education or the intellect. Jesus is later going to show how uh, this is not an intellectual pursuit, how education alone will never allow somebody to arrive at the place where they're really looking, or they're really finding what they're looking for. In verse 3 here, Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless somebody be born again, Jesus is actually answering a question that Nicodemus didn't actually ask. Nicodemus just approached Jesus, and then Nic uh, Jesus responds to him and says, unless I'm going to be born again. It's like Nicodemus is saying, hey, I just kind of want to see who you are. And Jesus says, no, let me show you what's most needed. 
What is Jesus doing here? He's saying, Nicodemus, what you're searching for, you're just showing up here, but what you're searching for, it's so much deeper than you'd think. You're not searching for something on the surface. You're not just trying to understand who I am, Nicodemus. What you're really looking for, what you're really searching for is deep. See, God's love for us starts with God seeing us. Another verse says that Jesus knows what is in the heart of man. He sees us. Jesus sees you. He sees you in your religious upbringing or he sees you in your irreligious upbringing. Jesus sees you. He sees in and he knows. And he knows how deep the search is. In Nicodemus' search, we see a few things that are present in most people's search. Nicodemus comes at night. And basically everybody agrees that Nicodemus approaching Jesus at night was rooted in a level of fear. I'll call it a nighttime faith. Like Nicodemus wanted to learn something about Christ, see if there was something in there, but yet was still living in a fear of the social public ramifications of faith in Christ. Nicodemus was a part of the, the rulers, the Jews, Nicodemus was right to be a little afraid for a couple of years later, the same group that Nicodemus was a part of would murder Jesus. Now in our setting, what is this? This is the part of the search that you might be on for Christ, that part of that deeper search where there's still this reservation inside of you. And so how you've attempted to alleviate that, the tension in there is to nighttime search Christ. Or Sunday morning, search Christ. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to pursue just enough. I want to search just enough where it might satisfy something in me, but not yet then that it would transform everything in the light or in the day or the rest of the week. A nighttime faith that you would know just enough. Ah, I found what I'm looking for. But oh, it doesn't change how I deal with everybody else. What we're going to see, both in this story and in every other story of Jesus' encounter, it's just never how it works. No one is ever able to properly balance half-hearted pursuing Christ. It always ends in either worship or rejection. And so here, Nicodemus is showing us that part of the search. Something else that we see in here is that Nicodemus has this preconceived idea of who Jesus is. He shows up and he looks at Jesus and he goes, hey, we, we've, we've heard of your miracles and you're clearly doing a lot. Uh, God must be with you. I've heard this about you. This seems to be true. Do you see the irony of the statement of Nicodemus looking at Jesus and saying, God must be with you? Oh, it's deeper than you'd think, Nicodemus. God's not with me. I am him. And what Nicodemus wanted to do is take his preconceived package idea of who Jesus was, step in and to uh, uh, meet the real Jesus and not think that there was going to be any confrontation there. See, in our modern world, isn't this how people approach Christ? 
Don't they have their preconceived ideas of who Jesus is? Preconceived and ill-conceived ideas of who Jesus is. And, and it's like we want to take all of these ideas of who Jesus is and, and then I want to carry them in and to meet the real Jesus and there not be any tension between those two things. Oh, but there always is. Light and darkness can't mix. Truth and lie can't exist together. And so Nicodemus, uh, his search for Christ brings his preconceived ideas, but then Jesus confronts it, which leaves Nicodemus with a choice. It's the same choice that humanity has now. And there are, aren't there, lots of preconceived ideas about Jesus, lots of ill-conceived ideas about Christianity. And people want to carry those with them and, and say, okay, here, Jesus, I have what I think, and now I have what you think, and can we just walk side by side? And what's interesting is people will use John 3.16 as an excuse to do this kind of thing. They'll look at John 3.16 and they'll say, oh, it's just about God's love. And so, of course, God would be okay if I just take all of my false understanding about Jesus and about Christianity and just kind of hold on to that, but then also profess allegiance to Jesus. Oh, it cannot work that way. The story's going to show us that. No, instead, all ill-conceived and preconceived notions of who Christ is We'll have to go by the wayside and we will have to embrace the Jesus that is truly Jesus. See, the search is so much deeper than we think. Nicodemus then, and, and, and Jesus, Jesus has to uh, make a comment to Nicodemus and his comment is in verses five through eight. And I'm gonna revisit this, but at the end of Jesus's comment to Nicodemus, Nicodemus goes, how can any of this be? In other words, I don't understand this can't be right. Why is it that Nicodemus couldn't see? Why couldn't he see what Jesus was saying? Why couldn't he believe what Jesus was saying? Why can't we sometimes? Why can't the world sometimes? Well, because of the state of humanity. And let me say, it's actually darker than we might think. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of the law. You are the teacher and yet you don't get it. Jesus is in part telling us here that, again, intellectual pursuit, knowledge alone is not enough to save. Knowledge alone is not enough to solve the problem of the search. No matter how much society or culture says, hey, if we just grasp this theory, if we just get this philosophy, if we just uh, remember that God is dead, right, because we've moved past that. No matter how much culture says, if we're just all educated properly, then the deep problems of humanity and society will be fixed. It isn't true. It's not true. Society cannot be solved in that way. The deep problems cannot be fixed. Spiritual problems, Jesus teaches us in verse 12, which, of which these are, these deep problems of, uh, of humanity are, must be solved through spiritual mechanisms. Now in verse 11, Jesus takes Nicodemus, who is individually searching, and he makes it corporate. 
In verse 11, as you're reading through this, you actually catch it, that, that Jesus switches into the corporate. He says you, and the you there is plural. He's saying you all. And then he says we. Who's the we? What Jesus is saying is you all have rejected us all. Well, who's the us all? God in his Trinitarian form, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus is saying the state of humanity, it's darker than you think. Why? Because all of humanity has rejected the triune God. Later in this passage, Jesus would describe the result of that rejection. He would say, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Do you see what Jesus is saying here about both humans as individuals and corporate humanity? He's saying that the rejection of light is not because Society preconditioned us to choose it. It's not because of a lack of knowledge. It's not because we haven't figured out the right economic or political system yet. No, the reason the world has rejected light is because its works are evil. Let me say it more clearly. It's because sin rests in the human heart. This is why darkness is present. This is why the failed systems haven't worked. This is why, because of the sinful, dark state of humanity. This is the context of John 3.16. Showing us, oh, it's darker than you think, Nicodemus. He's saying, the world has rejected God. The world is another metaphor. It's blind. It's blind to all of this. And this is true at the time that Jesus is speaking this, and he's speaking, I want to be contextually accurate here, he is speaking uh, to Nicodemus and the, 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 the Jewish people here in particular, but the solution that he's going to give is a universal solution, which makes me believe that it's not unfair to apply the problem that was there to the rest of the world. What's Jesus saying? There's a collective darkening in the world because of sin. I've had this conversation with some of you in here when people say, like, what's your read on what's happening right now? Like, we look out at the world and it seems madness. And you say, yes, and there is a collective darkening, it seems. A rejection of truth. Our eyes and our ears have become blind and deaf to the things that are true, it seems. Like this collective darkening. What can be done? Education, societal reform. Some of these tactics may be helpful, but what must really happen? There must be a better solution. Jesus gives us it. Verse 13. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Let me summarize what Jesus is saying here at the beginning of the solution. He's saying the solution for humanity is not found within humanity. The solution for humanity, the solution for the collective darkening, the solution for the individual darkening found in the human heart is not going to be found by human me mechanisms, by human methods, or by people themselves. The solution must be found in something that interjects itself into humanity. And now Jesus writes himself into the conversation that he's having with Nicodemus. And he says, ah, but there is a son of man who was in heaven, who has descended down into earth. In other words, the solution is now bringing itself into the place of the problem. The solution for humanity must be found outside of humanity. Enter Christ. 
But this solution is, is it's different than the world would have ever thought, and it is way more doctrinal than we would think. For now, as we begin to enter into the solution, we're approaching here contextually that famous verse, John 3.16. And John 3.16 has been used by uh, both non-Christians and by uh, either former Christians or really like darkened Christians, or we'll just call them heretical people who claim the name of Christ. John 3.16 has been used in some very unhelpful ways in a quest to describe love. They've butchered love. And they've used verses like John 3.16 to um, advance agendas like universalism. God loved the world. He gave us Jesus. So there is no punishment. It's been used to advance ideas like that there are multiple paths to God. Ah, God just, God loved the world and, uh, and Jesus is a path and there's a lot of paths, but God loved the world so there couldn't be punishment. So I'm sure whatever path you're following, as long as it's a good path, though we don't even know how to define good anymore. So how can you even say that? I'm sure it's okay. It's been used to try and diminish sin. Oh, God loved us. He loved the world. Don't worry about it. And it's been used in all of these things, but as you begin to read, and anyone who would say John 3, 16, oh, it's not doctrinal. That's why I like it. You ever heard somebody say that? Like, I, like, like we, pastors, they always get so caught up in doctrine. They always get so caught up in all those other, like, I just like John 3, 16. Like, oh, then let's look at John 3, 16. Let's look at John 3, 17, <laughs> the one, very next verse. Apparently the problem with the people who think that is they just can't read. You get to the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What's Jesus teaching here? He's teaching, hey world, there was and there is a problem. There's a problem. But don't worry. I've come to solve the problem. Now, Jesus wanted to teach Nicodemus and Jesus knew Nicodemus because he knows us and he sees us. And so Jesus wanted to teach Nicodemus, this religious ruler, how to understand himself as the solution, not himself as a Nicodemus, Christ as the solution. And so he tells him a story or he references a story from the Old Testament. And the story in the Old Testament, well, I'll read the context of it in Jesus's words. He says, Hey, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus looks at Nicodemus, he's like, hey, Nicodemus, let me, let me understand, I'll help you understand. The, the world is darkened, and, and there's a problem, and the solution needs to be outside of, of the problem. And, and, so, uh, and so the Son of Man came, and now let me help you understand. Remember, Nicodemus, remember Numbers 21? Remember the story when, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they had rejected God and they, they spoke ill of him and, and they, they rebelled against God. And then what happened? Well, what happened is what must happen. This is why it's so much more doctrinal than you think. Because God is a holy God. God is a perfect God. God is a God who, uh, who hates sin. 
And so that God, that holy God, when, when, when humanity rebels against that God, the only just thing that can happen is for punishment to be extended to those who have rebelled against the holy God who created everything. The fool says in their heart, there is no God, but there is a God. And then there's consequences to the sin of rebelling against that God, both as individuals and humanity as a whole. And so uh, Jesus is trying to explain this to Nicodemus and he's telling the story and he says, so remember when the Israelites rebelled against God, what happened? The just thing happened. And the way the story is, I hate snakes. No one else hates snakes? Okay, all right. Everyone else is on team devil apparently. All right, so. <laughs> snakes would come into the garden. Or not the garden. That, was, that happened earlier. Snakes would come into the camp where the Israelites were and they would bite the Israelites and poison would then fill their bodies and they would die. And this was the punishment for rebelling against God. And what we're seeing here first is justice. We're seeing true justice. What is true justice? That an affront against the holy God deserves punishment. Some people don't like this right now mostly because they think that they're on equal playing field with God. It's just so much more doctrinal than you'd think. You are not on equal playing field with God. You say, but my perspective is, your perspective doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Where were you when he spoke creation into existence? Probably playing Xbox. Your opinion doesn't matter. You don't matter. He loves you. He loves you. The only just thing for an affront against the holy God is punishment. And so the serpent came in. The serpents would come in. They would bite the Israelites and they would die. And that was just. But justice and mercy, they can be happening at the same time. And so as the Israelites were dying under the weight of the poison or the effects of the poison, as they were dying in that they would begin to scream out and they would scream out. And as they were screaming out, their mediator Moses heard them. And so their mediator, Moses, approached God and said, can you heal? Can you save them? Can you rescue us despite our rebellion, despite our rejection, despite the fact that all we are doing right now is just living under the weight of our actions, facing what we deserve? experiencing what we in essence asked for when we rejected you. Can you step in and do something? And guess what? He does. Because not only is he just, he is loving. For God so loved the world. Listen, friend, love doesn't exist apart from justice. It doesn't. 
Justice came out and love responds to it. And so God responds to Moses and he says, okay, Moses, I got a plan. Get this plan. It's great. It's like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a bronze serpent. It's like, okay. It's like, then strap it to a pole. It's like, how high of a pole? I don't know. Find the biggest one you can. That 10-foot pole that no one will touch with. Go grab a couple of those. Okay. Put them together. Put them in the middle of the camp. Okay. Then lift it up. Okay. Then what do you want people to do? Like, bring offerings to it? No. What do you want them to do? Like, sing to it? No. What do you want them to do? Just tell them to look at it. What do you mean? Just tell them to look at it. Okay. So Moses makes this bronze serpent. He puts it on a big pole. He sticks it in the middle of the camp. He gets everyone and he goes, hey, if, you've got poison, or if you got bit by the snake and the poison's you know, working through your body and it's killing you, all you got to do is just look at the snake. What? Just look at him. And so people are like, okay. And so they start and they turn to look. And guess what? They get healed. They're better. And then there's, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some dude in a tent. And he's just sitting in the tent. And he's like sitting there and he's just wailing. And he's like, man, I can't believe God gave me this poison. And they're like, well, actually, it was us who brought the poison. But, you know, never mind. We'll talk about that later. He's like, no, I can't believe I feel this way. I can't believe I'm so down. I can't believe I'm so out. I can't believe that everything feels so dark and it's horrible. And he's just sitting in their tent and in walks somebody and they're like, hey, how you walking? Didn't you get bit? And he goes, no, 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 I did get bit. But, but then I stepped out and I looked at the snake and now I'm better. And the guy's sitting in there and he's whining, and he's complaining, and he's feeling the full weight of the poison as it works through his body, and as it's nearing his death. And the dude's like, all you have to do is step out of the tent and look. That's all you got to do. And they're like, no, I'm good. I don't believe the snake's real. I think it's God's fault that the serpents are here. If God was loving, why would he have made the serpents in the first place? You don't matter. Stop putting yourself in the place of God. Your perspective doesn't matter. You're darkened. You think you can describe the light when you're living in the dark. You can't even see your own hand. You know, you know what evangelism is? You know what the gospel is? It's everybody outside of the tent saying, dude, just come on out. Get out. All you have to do is look. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would just believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus says, Nicodemus, the world is infected with a serpent's poison. It's so much worse than just destroying your physical body. It is working its way. It is destroying your soul. And it will lead to eternal death. And it will get worse and worse and worse and worse. But the just, holy, perfect God, He loves you. And He sees you. And even though you're utterly helpless, and even though you completely rejected him, even though the poison is taking over, all you got to do is believe. He did all the hard work already. Why did Jesus pick this story? Why did he pick this story? See, when Jesus, or when Moses the mediator, heard from God. What did God say? He said, I want you to take the very thing that is destroying them, and it will be through the very thing that is destroying them that they will also experience their salvation. So Jesus comes down to earth, and he's here on earth. And what does Paul say? He who knew no sin, what? Became sin. Jesus says, the very thing that is destroying you, the poison that is destroying you, I will become it. It's so much more doctrinal than you'd think. I will become it. I will wear the weight of it, transfer all of the poison onto me. That's love. It's not saying that the poison doesn't exist. He's saying, I'll carry the weight of it. The Son of Man must be lifted up, it says. The Son of Man must be lifted up, it says. I wonder if Nicodemus, who walks away after this encounter and all ideas is that he's not transformed and the gospel hasn't yet broken into him. I wonder if those words just stuck in him for the lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And three years later, Nicodemus watches as the very group that he's a part of nails Christ to the cross. Nicodemus is present at his death. And I wonder in the moment the cross went from lying on the ground and he sees Christ up there. Lift it up. If his heart it's my poison 
Nicodemus must have thought. That put him up there. And I wonder as he lifted his eyes and stared at Jesus. Oh, if he knew that love then. What does this love feel like? What would it be like? What would it be like if you felt it? You know what it'd be like? Jesus says, it would be like being born again. Like being born again. Remember when you were born? No, you don't. Remember after it though? You learned a language. You got a perspective. You were in a family. You built up values. Much of which had to do with where you were born and who you were born in and all of that. Jesus, oh, it'd be like being born again. Where the love would implode inside of you so much. It would take over so much. It's like you would learn a new language. You would get a new perspective. You would have a new family. You would hold on to different values. You would see everything different. And if you follow the physical metaphor, if the person was born again, then nothing in that person's first life can now be held against them. It would be forgotten. They've been born again. So too are you, my friend. There is no condemnation in Christ. You are not guilty of that sin. Christ took the poison on for you. You know when you really get it? You know when you really, when it really sinks in, you know what you do? You run around the camp. You break open the tent you look at the moron who's like, I think that the snake isn't real. And you drag them out, grab them by the hand and say, look! There's such a better way to do this. The poison's killing you. Just look at the cross, man. All you got to do is believe. That's evangelism, by the way. You don't have to grab them by the head. Some of them you might. How does it happen? Oh, we're so much more dependent than you think. In verse 8 of this, Jesus compares it to like the wind coming through and you're like, where did the wind come from? One of you's like, from the lake. Shut up. <laughs> like, where? Like, it's just here and then there was effects of the wind and then it was like gone. And Jesus says, ah, oh, that's like that moment of born again. It's like the spirit just comes in. Some of you are feeling it now. You were a couple minutes ago. And you're like, what is happening? That heartbeat, you're being born again. The darkness is being lifted. The veil 
is being torn. The new identity is being granted. You're walking into something now. For those of us who've experienced it already, maybe today is just a reminder of how much he loves us. That he did that for you. It's a call to live every life, every life, you get one, to live every day, every day, like you've been born again. And to get really good at telling the people in the tent still to come on out and look. Let's pray. Oh, Father, my heart gets so filled when I think about what Nicodemus must have thought when he saw Christ lifted up on that cross. And you did that for me. Jesus, you love me. I was utterly helpless and absolutely guilty. And <laughs> you love me. And you love the world. Everyone. No qualifiers. How beautiful. Hey, if you're here today and you're like, man, I just got born again. I just, I know it. You don't have to pray this out loud, but I want to walk you through a prayer. Pray it with me. In quietness of your heart. God, thank you for allowing me to finally see it. I believe in the name of Jesus that he took on my sin. He took on the poison. And he healed me, freed me, loved me. And now I want to live born again. Yeah. When it's real, it's that easy. God, I ask that you would help us to be really good at screaming out the gospel of how much you love everyone. 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 Tear down. Tear down, Lord, any thoughts that we have of alienating this gospel from any group or any person or anything. Now, when you put that bronze serpent, when you put it in the wilderness, it was for everybody there. And so was this gospel. Jesus, thanks for loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.